Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Steve Casey. Born in Texas and raised in Nebraska, Steve graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point with a BS in general engineering and served as an Army Infantry Officer with the 101st Airborne Division in the Gulf War. After the Army, Steve led teams in medical device manufacturing operations and new product development, and then joined Orion Talent, a corporate recruiting firm focused on military talent, as one of its first account executives for the Central and Western U.S., developing Orion's core client company business. In Steve's many years at Orion Talent, he developed many of his company's largest industry verticals and client programs and held a variety of positions, including VP of Business Development, VP of Client Solutions of Orion's acquired RPO firm, Novotis, VP of Sales Operations, and Regional Sales and Operations Manager of Orion's largest region. He has led numerous RPO and talent program engagements across many industries, conducting thousands of client meetings across the U.S. Steve was also the founder of Orion's 500 company, North NSTAR Global Services, an international semiconductor contracting company. Steve was a founding board member of the nonprofit organization Heroes Night Out, helping wounded veterans and their families through therapy and recovery. He is a lifetime member of the U.S. Army Ranger Association and Veterans of Foreign Wars. In his spare time, Steve enjoys spending time with his wife and their two children, scuba diving and many high school football and rugby activities, and serves as the president of his area's rugby club. Steve, welcome to CFO Weekly, and thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us today to share your experience. Well, thank you very much, Megan. I really appreciate you inviting me to be part of this, and I appreciate your time. Sure. Today, we're talking about staffing firms, the benefits, challenges, and reasons for using them, and I'm looking forward to learning some new things myself. So let's get started. First of all, tell me about your career and experience. Well, you bet. Well, uh, I ended up, gosh, doing almost 26 years in the talent acquisition industry overall, corporate recruiting, uh, because of my background being a military officer. And uh, what got me into that was I graduated from West Point, the U.S. Military Academy, went in the Army as an infantry officer, and then um, just kind of had a, you know, I felt I had a penchant for talent and uh, people and leadership and putting people in the right places. And after I spent some time in manufacturing, technology up in Michigan, I decided to join uh, a growing talent acquisition firm in Austin called Orion Talent. And uh, we became the largest talent acquisition company in the United States that works with veterans, people leaving the military to join corporate America. And over the time I was there, I helped work with around, oh, about 8,000 different companies. We put 50,000 veterans to work in a variety of roles. And um, along the way, we also started other business lines, other companies, one of which I founded there. And uh, we also acquired the number one ranked mid-sized RPO, which is, stands for Recruitment Process Outsourcing Firm in America called Novotis. And that was about five years ago. And uh, so I got to be exposed to um, the broad variety of talent acquisition and staffing from contingent staffing, support for companies to large scale volume contracts with experienced talent to executive recruiting, to all types of different technical engineering and leadership and sales 
fills for companies nationwide across just about every industry. So that's what took me through a quarter of a century in talent acquisition with Orion. So talk to me a little bit about talent acquisition firms and, and kind of how they operate. Well, you bet. Well, there's a, that's a big topic. <laughs> so, so there are all sizes that, you know, as we know of talent acquisition firms, staffing firms, recruiting firms, executive search firms, big, broad gambit of them to support every size of company in America. And, you know, if you look, if you had to look at, oh, I would say every single company that's under the quote unquote staffing umbrella in the United States, a large majority of them would be small because of the number of very small search firms exist out there that try to specialize in niches. However, there are a lot of other uh, breakdowns in the industry. So uh, you've probably heard of the larger temp staffing companies. So anyone that's in a mid-sized larger company has probably used a temporary service firm or, or staffing firm for a variety of administrative roles. There are also the RPO companies, recruitment process outsourcing again, where they will go in and uh, either take on a project, you know, some of or all of a company's talent acquisition based on the need that company has. And that has become very popular since, you know, around the year 2000 or so. It's grown and grown as a segment of the staffing and recruiting industry just because you know, for the same reason, Megan, if you imagine why do companies use internet MSP companies? Because most companies out there do not have the size, scope, technology, time, or resources to manage their own tech, internet, cr uh, cloud, data, info systems. That's extremely complex. So a lot of companies resource out to that because those firms happen to have the latest and greatest in all of the tech tools and technology to leverage across their clients at a much cheaper cost. The same goes with using an RPO firm or a staffing company. Companies will outsource a project, whether it's 10 hires or 200 hires, or maybe the entire function of you know, thousands of hires over a few years to an RPO company, just because they simply have the capability, the bandwidth all the time to execute on that search. And they have the latest, greatest knowledge when it comes to branding, communications, building talent communities, all those things that if you're a small or medium-sized company, you just don't have that, that, that strength, especially if you're facing a project or a ramp you need to get talent on board quickly to match that. So there are a lot of reasons why companies use staffing and recruiting firms. And, you know, one of the biggest, if you take it down to just um, this, the single searches of the world, whether it's a technician, an engineer, a leader, an executive, usually it's a harder search. And a company, when they start hitting up or butting up against a, a time to fill of over 30 days, whether it's 45 days or 60 days, they're incurring a great deal of costs just to fill that one role. And um, when they understand what the costs really are when it comes down to it, because most people don't, most managers and companies don't understand the cost to fill a, a position in, in their company or what turnover costs really is. When they understand those numbers, they'll often resort to using a firm to do it faster, maybe more effectively than their internal TA team can. And it's a long answer, Megan, but um, I'm glad to expound upon the cost and the reality of all that if you'd like me to. Sure, absolutely. So let's talk about the costs associated with that. Well, you bet. Well, when you think about this, let me give you kind of one average number to start with. First off, when you think of just filling one position in a company out there, let's say a company needs to fill a, a talented technical role. Maybe it's an IT or programming software type position, or 
it's a position where someone needs to have a lot of experience. Say like in the accounting world, a controller, more highly experienced position for a company. You can usually kind of a rule of thumb guess that the cost, just the straight up internal cost to fill, just that number alone of uh, the cost a company incurs on its own with no outside help or anything else to fill a role, which basically is wrapped around time and hour spent of everyone involved, their basic platform they're using, their basic advertising, just internal costs could be around 13 to 14% of what that salary and, and employee burden are. So for a controller example, if you take that, let's say someone wants to hire a controller at $120,000 salary in Austin, Texas, what they would see for that would be around almost $17,000 in internal costs alone. So now that does, I'm not talking about turnover yet. That's a lot bigger cost actually. So when you look at the real numbers on turnover for a controller role, now I've, I've done this, computed this by running this on much more, uh, uh, I guess, much more data intensive spreadsheets that I had access to when I was in the town acquisition world. That cost of a turn of a controller might be around $52,000 just for that one job. Wow. You know, and you would probably hear a CFO or other executives in the company saying that the reality is it's going to cost them a lot more than that, especially the longer it's open, right? So that would be if it's only open for 45 days, okay? So we could talk about the numbers for a while, but people just don't understand the real cost that's incurred when you lose someone. So um, that's why, you know, when companies would think about hiring, you know, again, 10, 20, 50, a couple hundred employees over a year, on a project, they might go to an RPO firm because an RPO firm might come in an overall cost, an overall recruiting cost ratio of around 7%, 8%, something like that, versus 10 to 15% the company would incur on its own, if that makes sense. Wow. Yeah, definitely um, a good reason to turn to these providers. So are there industries or certain size companies that fare better by using talent acquisition firms, or is it pretty much just cross-industry agnostic? You know, uh, we could really go into a long answer on that, but to keep it short, pretty much every size corporation in America uses search firms, staffing firms. Um, now, typically for RPO firms, there, there's a really good, uh, I would say, you know, niche in mid-sized companies. So those 100 to 1,000 employee type companies, there's a lot of reasons for that and why those companies, not only for RPO, but in general, outsource more functions or pieces of a function more than large corporations do or really small ones. But that has to do with the resources they actually have on hand on their staffs to be able to execute such functions or searches versus the resources a huge company has. So, But I've seen all sizes of companies from the largest in America that I've personally worked with to small companies with five to 10 employees use search or staffing. And I would say that uh, uh, it's typically uh, the huge corporations in America, large uh, enterprise size companies will often uh, be more reluctant to use search and to incur those costs. They might uh, incorporate RPO for a larger project because they know that their staff it would, be, it would cost too much to bring on more people to handle a short-term surge or ramp. But I think the real sweet spot for staffing and search firms are in medium-sized companies down to smaller 
because they just don't have the resource to execute when it comes to any volume or when they have to scale, you know, uh, adding headcount. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about the trends you've noticed in the field during your tenure. You bet. Well, um, first off, it's such a large <laughs> subject line with uh, from staffing to uh, to refer- very open ended. Yes, yes. So um, again, you know, I, I know I mentioned earlier, but you know, I think RPO company use, you know, hit was on the rise over the past twenty years and growing and consolidating. There are a lot. I think a number of RPO companies that are consolidating together. Some firms have seen them as good, you know, buyout targets. I know that some of the larger uh, talent organizations, talent companies are trying to be able to do more than just specialize in one niche. For example, it's been become popular to be able to say you're an RPO company to handle a project. Well, you can also do direct and executive search on top. And of course, if you can handle staffing and uh, help a client company of yours also handle the burden of staffing, you know, temporary help. If you can do all three, that's a wonderful thing. A lot of companies have trended to try to be able to do all of those. So, you know, while I think the medium ground is tougher if you're a a typical perm search firm only and don't do staffing or don't have the function, the functionability to be able to do the large scale branding, reputation management, community building of an RPO firm for a project, then, you know, you better be really, really good in your niche and have a heck of a lot of referral business and a lot of great marketing content. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll go the way, by the wayside. And so that's why I think that uh, some of the smaller perm search firms are in a little bit of trouble more lately. I'm sure that their job order count went down this year in this COVID year we've been in in 2020 significantly. So uh, I think the companies that are very well set in the staffing, you know, temp side of the house, and also can do RPO very well are the best set up for the future in the whole overall talent acquisition arena. So speaking of COVID, what do you think COVID has done to a lot of RPOs and staffing firms? Do you think it's helped them or hurt them in this past 12 months? Well, it definitely hurt them because so many companies, you know, decreased headcount. Now, the, 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 uh, the trends were very interesting, of course, as you know, over, over this past year of 2020, um, some industries ramped up right away uh, and had great challenges filling roles. And that those were industries like retail, all right, shipping, of course, distribution operations, you know, the Amazons of the world and beyond. Most retail companies, not, not store retail, I mean food, I'm sorry, I should have clarified that food and beverage and part of the retail, the grocery, you know, supply chain, right? Those companies had to figure out things drastically very fast. And a lot of them had high ramps and temp talent needs due to distribution, warehousing and everything else. So logistics ramped up a lot, but on the whole, of course, we saw mainstream retail America, you know, malls of America, right? The normal stores, brick and mortars out there that were not grocery and food chain related, they all drop down a lot, of course, right? So RPO companies in general were hurt, I believe, you know, overall. But if they could lock in some of the larger ramp contracts that happened, they were okay. You know, I saw that uh, where I used to work. We were fine uh, in the long run uh, and very well, you know, niched into a lot of areas. But I think, again, the ones that hurt the most were the smaller perm search 
companies because a lot of companies, I don't have the statistic in front of me right now, I can look it up, but a lot of companies cut their search down significantly or stopped it overall for months waiting to see what would happen. So a lot of them were hurt in a, in a really bad way. So let's switch gears for just a minute and talk about specifically the accounting industry. So why do you think it is that the accounting industry turns to staffing firms so often to fill positions? Well, when you look at the accounting industry overall, around 5% uh, total nationwide out of about the one point, you know, four, three, six million or so jobs in accounting in the U.S., about 5% are filled through temp and staffing. A lot of reasons for that because there are a lot of functions in the accounting in accounting uh, departments that are transactional in nature. You know, data, basic data, basic uh, general bookkeeping data, uh, uh, positions, and so on. Whether it's an AR or AP, and um, because of that, you know, when a company needs a little extra help, they might not need a full-time employee, you know, additional headcount, but they might need extra help. And of course, that always happens when January through April, right? <laughs> Tax yeah. season. So um, uh, that's what we're coming into right now. So you're going to see the temp numbers go up. But 5% is the general average of people that are temps that are in accounting because it's an easier role to get into. That workforce is a little more flexible out there. And also projects. You know, when you look at a company in general, there's always some type of tech project going on or there could be or new technology accounting and finance to try to make, uh, uh, bring more efficiency, more lean efficiencies in existence in the company to get away from spreadsheets and get in the software that will work better for the team and close, you know, help them with their month and closing cycle uh, significantly. So um, because of all those things, uh, companies uh, are always willing to take on, wanting to take on projects for efficiencies. And when they do so, they'll usually need to shift some of those transactional duties to temps or staffing folks who can help so that their other people can focus on what matters most. So that's why it's such a popular area, I believe. So in general, what do you think is good about uh, using a staffing, a talent acquisition firm to staff? Well, first off, it's a talent acquisition firm that is good in, the, in accounting staffing. So temp staffing or accounting and finance roles. They have usually pre-existing communities of talent built up. If they're sizable, that is, they should, if they're good, know how to... Uh, get the jobs and the right people's hands out there. They have ongoing passive and active networking both. They're always trying to maintain that candidate community and maintain touch with those people that could be in their temp, you know, um, coffers to fill roles for their clients. So that's their full-time job is to maintain a network like that. And, and to understand why that's so important and why small to medium-sized companies have such a hard time with this, if you think about the number of accounting jobs that exist in every small and medium-sized company out there, we'll just focus on those for now, not the enterprise-sized companies. There's not a lot, right? You know, you could have, say, um, a company with 150 employees or 200 employees that might have four or five people in accounting. Yep. Um, very general example, but that means that their turnover might be one or two in a year, perhaps. They're not exactly always going out, taxing their internal recruiting team or their HR generalists, which is usually all they have if they're a small company. That person is not exactly experienced in finding an accounting person, right? Usually people that recruit inside a company are much more experienced finding the volume of positions that are open, whether it's maintenance technicians or other types of roles in the company. 
So there's one knock against small and medium-sized businesses is that they're not exactly experienced in finding accounting people because it's not their biggest demand role. But when that job is open, that hurts a lot, you know, on the cost, bottom line cost for the company, right? So that's why they usually realize they can't fill them very well and they have to go to somebody who already has the pre-existing community of talent for that, whether it's going to be for a perm fill or just, you know, help for a project augmentation for a while. So that's one big trend as to why companies need to go out and look for or, or maintain a good list of outside sources to use. Another one has to do with the talent out there, Megan. You know, um, the big supply and demand curve for accounting talent, that is really going to cause a big um, challenging effect. It already has for the last few years, but it's going to be even worse through 2029. There's a lot of stats from Bureau of Labor and Statistics that support that. We can jump into that if you'd like to. Sure, yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of research on uh, accounting talent shortage and, and it seems to come up every single year. Uh, there's just not the talent out there. So sure, let's, let's dive into that for a minute. Well, you bet. Well, here's one thing to start off with, like I said, with the BLS stat that you've seen, you know, from t- the year 2019 to 2029. So this 10 year period, we're already one year into and we got we got messed up a little bit with COVID, but it's coming back around. The, the need did not go away. And I'll talk about that in a second. But so it's expecting a 4% or more increase in need for or demand for accountants and auditors. So again, you know, we're looking at an existing workforce right now of around 1.43 million in accounting and auditing in the United States, going up to one point, almost 1.5 million by 2029. All right. So that's the demand that we expect to be hit with. Now, uh, how is the supply side looking? Well, not not good enough to match the demand is the <laughs> easiest way to put it, right? You know, we've seen in, in already in August, you know, August, this COVID month of August, a couple months ago, there was already a 10% increase in online job postings for accounting, you know, accountants and auditors for perm positions. And that was primarily in industries such as construction, life sciences, and agriculture. It's just going to keep spreading from there. So now let's look at the millennial workforce, though. So number one, on the one hand, we have less candidates for this talent pool graduating from college that go into accounting. Now, number two, um, when we look at millennials, millennials make up the growing segment of the workforce, right? But they're hard to come by in the accounting industry. And um, they have now passed, surpassed Gen Xers, the largest segment of the U.S. workforce. That happened in 2016. But since about 35% in the millennial age group. But in the accounting field, millennials on the younger end of the spectrum account for one of the smallest segments of the workforce. So at work for workers age 24 and under, account for only about 5.5% of accountants and auditors nationwide. Wow. And the workforce as a whole, the number is around 12%. So what this means is that millennials are going, that are becoming the largest part of the workforce, they're going into accounting at a lot lower rate. And on top of that, they job hop more than their older peers, and especially in finance. They're hard to keep. Only I saw a statistic, only 10% of millennials currently working in this sector said that they plan to stay in their current role for the long haul compared to 18% across all sectors. So there's a lot of statistics and trends adding up that we just can't really deny that show that you know accounting talent is not easy to find and it's not easy to keep and that will get a little bit harder. So those are the basics. Yeah, sounds like it's about to get a lot harder. So on the flip side, what are some of the challenges that companies might experience when working with talent acquisition firms? 
Well, you know, it's always back down to the talent pool, right? You know, for the first challenge and how quickly can they find um, and, you know, capture really the right people and gain interest, you know, how, how quickly can they do the attraction to attract that talent and, and introduce them to that client company. So, and then oftentimes, you know, really talent firms are, are burdened with the, with how well of a reputation that company has, that client company that's trying to actually do the hire. The talent firm can be burdened with the internal processes of a company or their ability to keep and retain people inter internally based on managers in that company right now. So, you know, I would tell companies that the way to win in using a talent, uh, a talent acquisition firm or a staffing firm is to be good yourselves with your brand, your reputation, and how well your manager's on board. There was a stat I saw recently from millennials that something like 88% believe onboarding is not, is not a priority in their companies. That'll have a huge impact on accounting when people in accounting are more likely, like 43% or so more likely to job hop based on salary alone. So there are a lot of things, you know, that are at, that shape a company's ability to retain people out there. But um, the onboarding piece, the training piece, the reputation, the brand, the community and the company, all that will matter so much. Uh, and a talent acquisition firm can only do so much to attract people to a company that is not good in those areas, you know? So they need to arm the talent acquisition firm with the best information, content, and very fast response to their candidate submittals they can. They're, you can't sit on a candidate for a week. You know, when you get up from a good talent acquisition firm, you'll just lose. And then a TA firm, they have their they have their hands full with accounting needs usually. If they're in the accounting segment, they don't need to work with you if you're not good at onboarding or bringing people on board fast. So is, is there something companies can do to get better uh, about onboarding or even retention? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot that companies should be focusing on to be better with attraction and retention. Number one, now, of course, they always need to check and make sure their brand reputation is good out there in, in the candidate marketplace. What are people saying about them who've worked there? But they've got to be able to show that there's a path for a person when they hire them. They've got to be able to show that they have a culture that is good, you know, that matters, that they're interested in things that matter as a company. And that's especially attractive to millennials who like to know that wherever they go to work actually has a cause beyond the day-to-day -day job. Might sound funny to say to people that are older in the workforce, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, the younger generations we go in the workforce, the more people like to know that where they're going to spend their time, which is a big part of their life, that part of it will matter to causes outside the company and they can participate. So it's so important to show someone examples of other people in their roles that work there and like it there and what they say about working there right now. You know, why do people stay there? Why do they want to stay there? They've got to be able to sell that story. And I saw a lot of companies in the town acquisition. I mean, and when I was in town acquisition myself for all those years, that were not good at doing it. But the ones that were, of course, their retention rates went higher. You know, we could, we were able to back up with statistics over the long term, showing that a company that had invested interest in showing people that they cared about bringing them on board, that they would assign a mentor to them, or even even informally that could show them why they should work there and what's good about it and bring in testimonials from others. When that worked, especially in hiring military veterans, I was, which I was involved in for a quarter of a century, that was critical to long-term success. 
there are a lot of great articles on this. Um, we could talk about for, for hours, Megan, on this important topic to retain people. Yeah, that's some great advice. Just to be able to tell a story of why people stay and why people would want to stay. So there are some alternatives to staffing firms, and one of those alternatives is outsourcing. So let's talk about the difference between using a, a staffing firm versus using an outsourced service provider. Sure, you bet. Well, when you look at the costs associated with the different types of, of uh, resources you can use, you know, to add talent. On the one hand, you know, we've talked about perm recruiting. Of course, if you use a firm for that, you'll have a perm fee. Right. But uh, and then you could have turnover down the road. And one thing we don't want to have is turnover. Right. The turnover cost because it's horrible. <laughs> if you mentioned the beginning of the call. So so when you come to staffing versus outsourcing. So now staffing, again, it's popular. You know, every company's done it for, for decades and um, or, or have known the resources and use them here and there. And um, it's popular because it can indeed quickly solve a problem or at least augment the workforce for a while, you know, whether it's 90 days, 120 days, whatever the project might be, it can make sense with people who are experienced and who are available faster than later. And you don't have to have the burden of the employee cost on your own, uh, on your own uh, cost for your company internally. So, but what are the costs really though for staffing? Well, of course you can take about 1.5 times that person's salary, what it would normally be, and that's your cost now for using a staffing firm. Some companies are okay with that staffing cost, you know, for the short haul for a few, uh, uh, a few people to bring on board. Some don't like the idea of that cost or overdoing it because it gets incredibly costly to do that. So, and some want to be able to have a permanent resource without the cost. So when we come to outsourcing, you know, out of the different ways to outsource uh, for accounting talent, there are a lot of, you know, great resources to be able to bring on uh, someone to take on certain tasks in the accounting team, whether it's AP or AR or general bookkeeping or other roles, where it will cost only half of what your normal salary of a U.S. employee would be and with no employee burden, and also really not a big worry about turnover costs because they're not your employee, you're not gonna burden a turnover cost. A company that's really good at outsourcing has an existing talent pool, just like a good staffing company does, but they're probably more in tune with their talent pool because they're all working for them right now. They're working for the outsourcing company, oftentimes in one large office building. And if they're so well known in the industry, they have no shortage or lack of talent that's lined up the doors wanting to work for them if they're a highly reputable company because they always have jobs available in accounting. And so when you have it again, you no longer have employee burden. You don't have turnover costs, which again could be 40, 42,000 for just an, a, you know, for an AP role or so. You don't have to worry about six, you know, 60 to 90 days to fill a job with a perm hire that might leave, you know, in, in six months. Outsourcing firms collect tribal knowledge very well by outlining every detail of job descriptions. And they often give that information and uh, detail back to their client company and help the client company with a lot of efficiencies that just come naturally as part of the, the job of outsourcing. So that's why outsourcing has gotten so attractive to so many companies. And it's not just for the enterprise-sized companies anymore. Small, medium-sized companies probably have a bigger need, Megan, I would say now, uh, for that talent uh, and that help. They just don't all understand that you can actually have virtual accounting talent taking over some transactional tasks for you 
and costs half or less as much as you're used to. Yeah, and I know we touched on this a few minutes ago, the shrinking pool of accountants that, you know, the millennial generation represents, but that's not the case in countries like India and the Philippines. Accounting is still a highly sought after career. And so, yeah, this pool, I, the pool of resources available in those countries is growing rather than shrinking. So it's just one more reason why outsourcing um, can be beneficial. I just thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> No, no, you bet. That makes makes sense. And I think uh, it's it's interesting when I hear about a company that the first time they you know uh, encounter say uh, you know uh, an accounting professional joining their team uh, virtually through an outsourcing company, you know, like from Manila, the Philippines, they're surprised that the person actually has more experience working for U.S. companies than their previous employee did. You know. And with the, um, uh, you know, so there's a lot of incredible talent out there. And, and um, uh, I, with the world having gone virtual now, I just don't see if the, that the barrier really is as big as people thought it used to be years ago when they weren't used to working virtually like this. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well. Just with everybody working remotely, it becomes less of a big deal to have someone working remotely on the other side of the world. Yes, yeah, so, you know, one thing I, I, I forgot to mention, Megan, that, uh, that, I think it's so critical to all this is that you talk about peace of mind as a hiring manager, you know, the number one thing that I worked on resolving for thousands of managers, directors, VPs, presidents over 26 years, again, in town acquisition, the number one piece of feedback was peace of mind. Now, knowing this has been solved for me as a hiring manager, I have a great person on board who's going to impact the team so well around us. You know, you've solved my problem. I don't have the cost or burden anymore, you know, of an open role. And um, peace of mind was always number one. And what does outsourcing do for someone? <laughs> Huge peace of mind. You don't have to worry about the turnover and the hiring and the burden and, and all that stuff. And the training time. Training time burdens a manager more than anything else. And it's the number one thing that managers feel they're not good at doing because they don't have the time to dedicate it to like they'd really like to, you know? And what does it slow us down from when we have to hire or don't have someone in the right position? Well, it causes overtime for our other team members, right? It also causes lack of project time, which means that a manager's time is now no longer focused on the long-term most important projects. They have to help their team get folks in solving the immediate. That's not good. You don't want to operate like that. So again, peace of mind, I think, is the most important reason that companies should consider outsourcing. Yeah, great point. Steve, thank you for joining me here today. Oh, thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate it. I wish I could have shared some more stats. These are huge topics to cover, but there's a lot of great material out there, a lot of great information available on all of this. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I've really enjoyed today's discussion. And I hope our guests have as well. Uh, to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. 
Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.